Welcome to Demo's Digital Dojo, short one for me this week because I'm actually going to play you um, me giving a seminar uh, to a group of instructors who are looking at teaching children. And these are the six irrefutable laws of teaching amazing drills. Uh, why are they irrefutable? Well, put quite simply, uh, these are the six things that I've been doing for the last decade when it comes to teaching any drill, be it a game or a pad drill, be it for children, be it for teenagers or adults. Uh, with slight adjustments, I use these six things every single time. Enjoy. When it comes to doing a drill as such, it doesn't matter whether it's a fun drill for a warm-up or whether it's um, a pad drill, whatever the drill might be, the things that we're about to go through now are universal for all drills. So the reason that I did that is because I wanted to kind of put into your minds how creative you can get with a warm-up. I am not a huge fan of traditional warm-ups when it comes to children's classes. They have a place. So we still do line work where they do a whole bunch of star jumps and press-ups and all that jazz. But if I can get their cardio working, their brain working, and get them excited about something at the same time, then the drill is far more effective for children. So with that, you were working your cardio, you were working your hand-eye coordination, and you still had the benefit of star jumps and press-ups and regular um, sort of uh, warm-ups or warming the body as part of the drill. So I like to mix it up where I can. Now, as your classes make it bigger, that becomes harder. You need to be a bit more creative. So you can sort of split people into teams and all sorts and play team games as well. Works really, really well when your classes get bigger and bigger. Um, but it's about trying to inject fun into almost everything that we do. Because I've always said, and I will say forever, is that if they enjoy themselves and they're learning, they will come back next week. If they are doing one or the other, but not both, they probably won't come back. Yes, they'll be learning, but they're bored. Um, or they'll be really enjoying themselves, but they're not learning anything, so they're not progressing, so they don't come back. If we can get the children and adults to come back, we can do our jobs. So first and foremost, if you ever open up a new club, make sure everybody's enjoying themselves, as well as learning. But we keep it super basic. And this is what we do in terms of every single drill. So, number one, right at the top here, is prepare your drill. There are a number of ways that you can do this. The way that I did it with you there was, uh, was half and half. I prepared some of the equipment, the cones, the balls, but I also got you to prepare some of the equipment, holding the hoop, splitting you into teams. There's lots of different ways that you can prepare a drill. One of the easiest ways, especially with older children or adults, is find yourself a partner, you need a pair of focus mitts, and find some space in the hall and do nothing. Those are very clear instructions. You know that you need to find a partner, find some focus mitts, and, and find some space. Then I will go into the drill itself. So step one is prepare the drill. Preparation of the drill might take literally two seconds. It might take 30 seconds, 45 seconds, depending on how advanced or how complex your drill is, which is why I wanted you to start with designing your own drill, regardless of what it was today, because you're going to teach it to everyone today. That's why I also buddied you up so that you've got basically an assistant. But I don't want you to try and be an assistant. I want you to try and split the work evenly. Because one of the best ways that you can have great assistants um, is when they're doing exactly the same as what you are, as opposed to, I'm in charge, you just hold a pad. They're like, oh, that's not great. They get bored and they don't learn anything. So you're gonna try and do equal amounts when you're teaching back to everybody else. Number two is set the drill. So S stands for short and simple. The explanation needs to be simple, especially as you get larger groups, because you need to make sure that everybody in the room is able to follow. 
And that comes into another step later on. So keep it simple. You do not need an in-depth explanation as to why they're doing the drill. So for instance, the in-depth explanation to that drill is simple. Okay, so we're gonna have two teams and you get a six over there, six over there. One person needs to hold the hoop. And you try and throw the balls through the hoops. And if you get caught, uh, then you can do say five star jumps. The advanced explanation to that is you can do five star jumps because it's really good for the cardio and it's also working and mobilizing the body. The reason that you're throwing the ball is because you're working on your hand-eye coordination and some of you need to work on that a little bit more because it really helps you with punching and kicking. You don't need that information, keep it short, okay? You will put some information in there later, especially with more complex drills where you're looking at specific techniques but not with everything you do, so keep it short. Number two is energy. Nobody is gonna be excited about your drill unless you're excited about your drill. It's like, all right kids, uh, two groups, hurry up. <laughs> uh, hoops, close your eyes, you're gonna get smashed in the face, okay? Uh, throw the ball, get them to do loads of exercises. That sucks. Unless you get, it's just exactly the same drill. Unless you get excited about what you're doing, they won't. So your energy, depending on how much energy you bring to something, it needs to be, and this is the key word, consistent. You do not have to be off your head bonkers like I am. <laughs> Absolutely not. You don't need to be. Some people can be. Some people will spend their whole life trying to get that kind of energy and it won't work because it's not their style. Remember last week I was talking about how you do what is your style. Don't try and replicate somebody else's. But whatever you do, however you teach, keep that energy consistent. Because as soon as that energy goes down, whole class feels it. I've done it many times before where I walk into a class, usually just after I've taught my junior instructors this, and I'd be like, watch this. And I'm like, right kids, come on up. Everybody kind of saunters on. And it's like the whole start of the class, literally from when they come in to line up is, is done. And the, the beginning of the class is the most important thing because that's where they first start to feed you on your energy. If you want to go back even further, depending on how busy you are, if you're the person meeting and greeting everybody or whether your assistants are doing it, then you need to bring the energy the moment people start walking through the door, not just as they come in. So uh, some of you have experienced this, but when someone comes into my club, I don't care if they've been training with me for 10 years or 10 minutes, I'm like, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Because then they don't get a chance to go, yeah, it's kind of a rubbish day because then my energy takes over. Um, and then they're ready to come in and to start really learning. And if they do come in, oh, I've had a really hard day. It's like, well, you're in the right place, aren't you? Because we're going to hit some stuff today and you get to forget about that. And they're like, yeah, actually, I kind of do. So energy, enthusiasm, or consistency. They're all very, very important and under the same header. Number two, triangulation. This is something a lot of people tend to forget. So triangulation can be used in marketing. We hear about it all the time. You've got triangulation and marketing techniques. You've got social media, you've got physical, and then you've got your face-to-face. -face. So it would be like working at schools, handing out leaflets in the community, or uh, I don't know, an advert in a paper, if people still do that, and then social media. So you've triangulated your marketing, but you also need to do the same thing with teaching because you've got different types of learners in the room. So you want to make sure that you're explaining clearly and briefly so that those who learn auditorily they're the ones who are going to be learning from that and then you've got also making sure that you are demonstrating the drill so if you've got a pad drill get someone at the front you need to demo the drill as you're explaining so that those who are more visual learners are getting it as well and it's the kinesthetic learners that tend to be left behind some people and I'm glad to see that it's kind of a dying trend some people will have their class stand there perfectly it's like nope you stand still whilst I'm talking but then you've got your, your little kids who are like Okay, I've got to do that. I've got to do that. It's like, it's like they're not standing properly in line, but that doesn't matter. Because they're trying to do the drill with you, that's how they're learning. And sometimes they get left behind. It's like, guess what? You just lost a third of your class. So triangulating your teaching, basically doing the drill 
as you're explaining the drill and allowing others to replicate the drill in line. Some people will go one step further. We do all the time where I'm like, right, before we go and do this drill, everybody look at the front. And I see you do it quite a bit as well, which is really good. Everybody rep it with me before you do it with a partner. And so then those who are learning through doing, they are able to also get a hold. And so you've managed to get all three learning types whilst you're doing the drill. And this is what some people can often forget. So yes, number one, number two, easy peasy. On the back, got step number three. Now, step number three is grounding the technique. Essentially, in short, giving the technique context. Is this a sparring technique for sport? Is this a self-defense technique for reality? Why is it that we're doing this? So now that you do go a little bit into it, but it can be as cursory as, okay, we're doing an axe kick today, so make sure that your knee comes across, this is your chamber, remember, and as it comes up, it comes down, and so on and so forth. Uh, it comes down the middle, I'm not gonna coach you through an axe kick, but essentially, I would then go, what is this kick used for? Somebody, oh, it's a sparring technique. Great, why wouldn't we use it in self-defense? Because it's too high, you're off balance, there's no point, it wouldn't work. So like, great. So then the class understands, this is a sparring technique. It gives them context. So it's like, I wouldn't use this in a self-defense situation, but if I'm sparring at a competition, I can score quite a few decent points by landing the axe kick on someone's chest. It's like, yeah, absolutely. So give them context, making sure that you ground the technique. And this is a great thing that you can do in terms of getting the class involved during your explanation. Ask them questions. Just like I did there, it's like, okay, where would we use an axe kick? Oh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a sparring technique. Great, okay, what's really important about the axe kick? Oh, making sure that you keep your heel on the floor because a lot of people who lack flexibility, what they tend to do is that they kick, they'll raise their heel off the ground, which puts them off balance, etc., etc. So get the class involved, especially the higher ranks, because I'm like, hope you're paying attention, black belts, because this is coming up in your grading. Boom, they're suddenly switched on if you think they're starting to drift. The same happens with the white belts. It's like, what, we're going to be graded on this? Yeah, in about six years when you're a black belt, don't panic, you'll be right. Um, but again, it still gets them back in, it gets them learning. So how have them interact with the teaching process. Um, yeah, just practical sport. Number four, begin your drill properly. Oh, I still see this so, so often. Someone to do an amazing explanation. They've got everybody with the right equipment in pairs, and then they're like, cool, go. And like half the class, probably the closest, they'll catch the fact, oh, the instructor said go. So they'll kind of start doing it, and then it'll ripple through the class. And it doesn't matter whether it's a child or an adult, same thing happens. Um, if you don't start the drill properly, you don't start it with a bit of a bang, then you don't get the whole room going through the drill. So you need to make sure that you just start it properly. And it could be something as simple as, uh, okay, everybody ready? Yes, sir, yes, sir, go! And then you walk off and then the whole class begin because you've moved off the center spot where you're teaching um, and everybody knows that they need to go. So honestly, it might sound daft, but it's overlooked so often. Start the drill properly. One of the best ways that I start the drill, after I've said go, I'll put the music on. Because then people are, oh, the music's playing. It's time to do some work. What were we doing? Ah, you weren't paying attention. But those usually are the people that end up going over too straight away anyway. Because like one or two people may have drifted. It's not often, but you can spot it straight away. Because when everybody's going, the people who are a little bit stuck, they stick out. And it's like, great, that's where my attention is needed the most. And so I can instantly walk. But if you've got it rippling through, no, sorry, no worries. It is coffee o'clock. So if you've got it rippling through the class, you can't spot who needs help because not everybody started yet. So it's really, really good for your teaching. Okay, uh, number five, teach, 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 and teach some more. 
Don't stand at the front. This usually happens with people who are maybe a little bit nervous or it might be their first time. They're assisting a lead instructor. It's like walk around teaching. Don't teach from the front. You can't. It's easy for me to teach from the front in a group this size because I can literally see each and every single one of you and you are no more than four or five steps away from me. But if you've got like people over there, people here, people all over the place, walk up and down. Look around. When you're doing this, one of the things that's really good to do is to not ignore the people who are doing well. Pick something good and tell them how much you like it. But it could be something as simple as, that chamber, really good. You've got a lot of power in your kick. Keep it up. Because what often happens is that the children who are doing well, again, get ignored and overlooked. Well, so they don't need my time. They're doing well. So no, they do. They want that connection with the instructor. So when you see something good, praise it. When you see something that needs correction, correct one thing. If your drill is jab, cross, and front kick, and the jab, cross, front kick looks like this, it's like, okay, there's a lot wrong with that. I'm just gonna tidy one thing up right now. And so, okay, when you're doing your jab, cross, make sure that you close your hands. It's like, oh, okay, because I was, if anybody picked up on it, I was doing this. It's like, all right, so no worries. Shink. Excellent, hands are closed, well done, and let them work on that. Then when you come back, work on something else. Again, some people, it'll be tweaking things like a chamber. Other people, they need to work on a lot. But if they, came, if they come back week on, week out, we've got years to perfect their technique. If they don't enjoy and they don't learn, we have no time at all. So the goal is, of course, to keep getting them to come back because that's when we can properly do our job. And this is what I'll have a conversation with parents from time to time. I'll be like, they're not looking as sharp as other kids. I'm like, well, that's fine. Because provided that they keep coming, I've got six years to work on that technique and they're going to be amazing. And it's the people that are happy to put the effort in that I want to work with. I don't care if you're naturally gifted at martial arts, if you're lazy. It's like, mm, you'll probably quit at some point because you're like, no, nah, it's all right. It's like, fine, I'm here to help people who want to be here. And so that's how you build a really cool community because then you've got a whole bunch of people who are there to improve themselves and then it just grows from there. So yeah. Work on one thing at a time. That's all you really need to do. Okay. Um, teach, teach, and teach some more. Get through this quite quickly, which is good, because I want everybody to have a really good go at this. And the final one, number six, clearly close or stop the drill. Just as important as when you start the drill. Now, this can be done again in a multitude of ways. So if you've got a big, booming, projecting voice that you've worked on from the diaphragm for many years, because I'm really small, I made a point of working on my voice. Because <laughs> I used to talk a lot like this. Not that high-pitched, but it came from the... <laughs> Actually, I suppose if you go at a certain point in my life, it was that high-pitched. But I used to talk from the throat, which means that... Um, I'm going to try and turn it off now. Which means that I used to talk a little bit like this. But when you start to speak from the diaphragm, you can project your voice as much as you like. Um, if you don't, and I do this, I, I do um, diaphragm coaching with my junior instructors because, you know, they've got little voices, they're, they're juniors. But if you don't have that kind of a voice, you don't need it. You can stop the class in a multitude of ways. And this, this is why I bought this in, this is one of the easiest ones. Anybody ever heard of Pavlov's dogs? Ringing the bell, salivating, yeah, time for food. So when you ring the bell, whether you gave them food or not, they'd salivate. Basically the same thing. Okay, now that's gonna sound really strange, but music on, drill time. Music off, oh, drill must be over. So you can, yeah, exactly, and people do it all the time. I've spotted it, it's gotten so good now that 
my children, my, uh, my, even the adults, especially when they're like, it's an endurance drill. And they've, they've been punching like pads for like, crikey, I don't know, two, three, four minutes, which as you well know, two minutes of pad smashing is exhausting. And they'll see me walking on over and they'll start to slow down. I'm like, and I'll just walk on by. <laughs> and they're like, oh, come on, Mr. H, stop the drill. <laughs> so it's gotten so good that people will actually watch where I am in the room because they want me to switch it off so that they can change over the pads. So you will find ways that work for you. Music works great for me, but with the little ones, uh, the ages four, five, and six, if it's too loud, it can have the opposite effect. If you've got children with autism, they may not like loud noises. So make sure that you've got three or four different ways of finishing. So an easy way of doing it would be, and again, this is if you've got the voice to do so. Okay, everybody looking over here, and ready, sir? And everybody turns right, ready, sir? And those who didn't quite hear me, when the class starts going, ready, it's like, oh, oh, it's time to stop. So you'll find lots of little ways. Um, another way that avoids loud noise uh, is to, to quite simply walk around as you're teaching, then come to the front of the class, and again, turn to your instructors and say, could you just get everybody to, to look this way? And then they will get everybody to look this way. There's lots of ways that you can play about. Find one that suits your style. I like to project because I'm able to do so. Not everybody's gonna have the voice to do so. So don't rely on those types of skills. Music is a great one because you can just switch it off and it calms the class like straight away, even with the springs, the little ones. Um, so yeah, that is the how nice and short was that this week? Now, there is a tremendous amount of detail, which I have popped in there for you, okay? Um, but these are the steps that I will take every single drill, and it takes no longer than a few minutes. I hope you enjoyed. Um, that was me on a day where I didn't have raging hay fever, even though I've taken an antihistamine today. I think you can still kind of hear it in my voice. Now, a couple of ways that you can support the pods. Uh, if you want to get booked in for your own seminar for you or your coaches and instructors, feel free to contact me and uh, we can arrange to have that done. I come in and I do all sorts. Uh, I've done weapon seminars. I've done striking seminars. And, uh, and as you can hear from this, I've also done seminars on effectively teaching uh, children. Children is my bag. Um, if you're looking at someone for kind of like adults or mitts or that kind of thing, it brings me on to the next dude that I'm going to talk about, which is Mitt Master Matthew Chapman. I've got a link uh, in the show notes so that you can have a look at his stuff. And if you do decide to purchase any of his courses, um, then the podcast gets a little bit of a kickback. So you'll be supporting us as well. Just make sure that you use the link that I've got in the notes. Other than that, have a lovely Jubilee weekend and uh, I will speak to you all soon. Bye bye for now.